From the years 1999 to the year 2010, over 31,000 American citizens died from a certain lung cancer known as mesothelioma. It is said that over 80% of those people contracted their cancer from exposure to a mineral known as asbestos. It is estimated that worldwide, over 43,000 people die from mesothelioma cancer each year. Over 43,000 people each year die from a lung cancer known as mesothelioma, which they contracted from exposure to asbestos. Asbestos is a, was a well-known mineral that was used for insulating steam pipes. It was also used for many other things. It was, it was used mainly in the mid-20th century and, and before that. And uh, it, 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 it's used for carpets, for paints, for mittens, for, for rubber, for concrete, to insulate houses, and for many other things. And in my hand right here, I have a copy of a 1955 edition of the World Book Encyclopedia. This comes from a set that my great-grandmother had in her home, and now my mother has it in, her, in our house. And it's a collector's item, and it's from, the 1950, it's from 1955. And in 1955, uh, there were many events that would take place in the coming years, and there are many facts that they were not aware of. For instance, in the coming years, they had no idea that man could possibly go to the moon. They had no idea that man could go to space. For instance, they had no idea the harmful effects that cigarette smoke would have on the lungs. Upon one of these unknown facts was the effect that asbestos would have on the lives of millions and millions of people in the years to come. I read to you an excerpt from this 1955 World Book Encyclopedia under the word asbestos. It says, Asbestos is a remarkable mineral, known for its resistance to heat and exceptional ability to insulate. Pure asbestos cloth curtains form one of the safest barriers against fire in theaters. Asbestos is also used as a covering for steam pipes to prevent loss of heat. Asbestos is frequently used for upholstering and for carpeting. The longer an asbestos carpet is used, the tougher it becomes, although it does not improve in appearance. Asbestos is often ground down and used in certain paints. Mittens for iron workers and glass workers are made from asbestos yarn. For decades... This harmful mineral laced the walls, the flooring, the carpeting, the clothing, and even the very air that was breathed was injecting the American people and people worldwide with this harmful mineral known as asbestos. They had no idea that in the years to come, thousands upon thousands of people would die because of the exposure to this mineral. They, they banned this mineral asbestos from industrial construction in the 1990s, but many of the buildings that you walk in and out of today 
are still completely ridden with the presence of asbestos. And there's no telling the effect that asbestos will have in the years to come. I don't mean to freak you out, but that's kind of scary. Here in the encyclopedia, we're, we're told in the world standards that this is the source to get knowledge. Many teachers send students to a set of encyclopedias telling them this is where you get your facts. Many homes have complete sets of encyclopedias. But in that, in that case, how completely wrong was that definition of asbestos? You know, I grew up with this guy in high school. We, we went to elementary school together. We played football together. We were great friends. But I couldn't stand the guy. Yeah, y'all might be able to relate. I might be that guy for you. But this guy, by the time that we were 11 years old, by the time we were 11 years old, this guy had already read the entire set of encyclopedias A to Z twice. Yeah, he was that kid. You know what I'm talking about. He, w- he had those parents, and you know what I'm talking about. And yeah, he, he basically made like a 45 on his ACT, and he's going to college for free. Okay, this guy is a genius by what the world would say. But my question is, how many of those facts that he knows by his heart, how many of those facts that he has learned... How many of those facts within 50 and 60 years will be, be proven completely ridiculous? How many of those facts that he has gained from the word of man? How many of those facts that we know today, September 28, 2016, how many of those facts will be completely off? I suppose many will. And it begs the question... What do you stand on? Do you stand on the word of man? Or do you stand on the word of God? You see, each of us here at school, we are asked to study, research, make good grades, read books, and do this and that to where we can ensure that we make good grades. My question is, are we spending too much time focusing on what man has written? on what C.S. Lewis has written, on what Plato has written, on what Socrates has written. Are we spending too much time focusing on what man has written? Or do we take time to focus on what God has written and what God wants us to follow? Tonight I've been assigned the, the topic, Stand Firm in the Word of God. Austin's not here, and, and, and many of the people from the uh, debate trip are not here. I'm very glad I didn't go, because I was on the list, and I was on the way there, but surely enough, I would not have made it back in time, so God is good. But I thank Austin for letting me come to speak. It's something I've been looking forward to a, a long time since I was a freshman. If you're a freshman out there, and you're waiting to do this, I've been there. Uh, just breathe. Um, but I'm glad to be here tonight, and uh, I love each and every one of the guys that helped me out tonight. Uh, they're either my roommates or one of my best friends in the world, and I, I, I truly love each of you. And 
I appreciate each of you for helping me out. And I've been really encouraged the past few weeks listening to the messages that have come from this pulpit on Wednesday night. Messages on standing firm in the faith and the fight, standing firm in love and in righteousness. But tonight we're going to talk about standing firm in the Word of God. And I'm honored to be here tonight. I pray that each of us can honestly reject our own opinions, reject our own biases, and look at what the Word of God has to say. I hope each of you can look at the Word of God and subject yourself to it tonight and see what God's divine plan is for you. With that, we'll start in Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about the Word of God, so let's open it. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be beginning in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What is Paul saying here? What are you saying, Paul? He he tells us at the beginning of the text that if we put on the whole armor of God, he tells us that when the wicked one comes, when the fiery darts are hurling all around us, when Satan has us at our weakest point, when all seems lost, Paul tells us that if we have the arm of God, armor of God on, that we will be able to stand, and we will be able to withstand when the evil day comes. The last piece of the armor, if you will look down at your Bibles, the last piece of the armor that Paul talks about is the sword of the Spirit, or the Word of God. I want you to think of a soldier in the Bible times, if you can conjure up images that you imagine of David or Uriah or whoever, Jonathan, or whoever you might think of as a warrior in Bible times, I want you to imagine what they might have worn. Think of a Roman soldier, for instance. I want you to imagine a soldier that has a breastplate. He has his feet shod. He has his waist girded. He has a shield and he has a helmet. But he's lacking a sword. How useless is this soldier. You see, he has the necessary equipment to protect his own body. But for how long? You see, he has no equipment to win the battle. He has no equipment to defend himself. He has no sword. My question to you is, if a man has righteousness... If he has faith and he has salvation, but he doesn't have the Word of God, how long can this man's righteousness, faith, and salvation keep him from the evil one? How long can a soldier protect himself? How long can a soldier protect himself from the fiery darts of the enemy if he has nothing to fight back with? To use the vocabulary of this passage... How long could a person stand 
with only a breastplate, a helmet, and a shield. Not very long. Notice the sword of the Spirit is the only piece of the armor that Paul describes or prescribes for us as a defense. Paul doesn't give us a bow and arrow. He doesn't give us a slingshot. He doesn't give us any other biblical weapon that we can think of. Only the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. The Word of God is our only defense when it comes to battle with Satan. Let's look what Jesus did. How did Jesus stand at one of his most weak moments of his life? If you will like to, turn to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus Christ in the wilderness. He was without food for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. He was weak. He was on his last leg. And isn't that when the devil comes? Isn't that when the devil comes after us? When you have five tests in one week? When, you, when, you, when you're tired, when you don't want to fight anymore? When you've lost a loved one? Isn't that when the devil comes and comes after us? Well, that was one of those moments for Jesus here. He hadn't eaten in 40 days, and the devil comes and tempts him. And Jesus could have done two things. He could have relied on his own righteousness and his own power to defeat the devil. But instead, he chose to rely on the Word of God. If any of us could fight with our own power, as far as human standards go, if any in the history of humanity could fight with their own righteousness and could fight with their own power, it was Jesus Christ. But he chose to fight with the Word of God. Every time the devil tempted them, he answered with an, It is written. Isn't it time that you and I answered the devil with an, It is written. Isn't it time that you and I answer the false teachers, answer our friends and neighbors with an it is written? Now, I'm not asking you to beat people over the head like I used to. That's a mistake. I'm asking you to rely on the Word of God when you're at your weakest point. Jesus used the sword of the Spirit to stand. What do we use? I'm afraid too often we rely on our own opinions. We rely on our own feelings, our own thoughts, our own biases. Isn't that the truth? We do that. And God is just saying, why don't you rely on me? All we have to do is rely on the word of God. When we use the Word of God as a sword, the Bible tells us that the devil will flee from us. This is what happened in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus used the sword three times, and, G and, and, and the devil left him. 
So many times when the devil has us at our weakest moments, when he is tempting us with, the, with what he knows are our biggest weaknesses, we fall because we are relying on our own power to defeat him instead of relying on the eternal power of the Word of God. If we haven't been winning the battles lately, it might be because we aren't using our only defense against Satan. And that is the Word of God. Brethren, when our righteousness, when our opinions, when our thoughts, and when our feelings... When what we think is true, when those things are in opposition to the Word of God, I am not sorry to say this, and this will offend you. But if your opinions, your biases, your feelings, when our thoughts are contrary to Scripture, we are wrong. We are wrong every single time. The sooner we realize this, the sooner we will be able to stand firm in something that we can really stand on. The fact is that if we are looking to stand firm in our own righteousness, if we are looking to stand firm in our own opinions, we will fall. The only thing that we can stand firm in is the Word of God. And is in his righteousness. I hear so many people say, well, I just think this. Or I just think God's grace is able to cover blank. It doesn't matter what we think, does it? I'm sorry to burst our bubbles. But when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to worship, when it comes to what God wants us to do, it doesn't matter what we think. It only matters what God said. It doesn't matter what we think can improve worship. It doesn't matter what we think can improve on what God has written. God wrote it. Are we the source of right and wrong? Or is He? That's the question we have to answer tonight. Are our opinions and our feelings more important than our God who made us and what He said. Something that we need to understand is it doesn't matter. It does not matter if it's contrary to the Word of God. Our feelings, our opinions do not matter. We have to humble ourselves. That's the bottom line. We have to humble ourselves. We have made ourselves, we have placed ourselves at the throne of God as if we are Jehovah God sometimes. We have to humble ourselves and subject ourselves to His will. And that's the bottom line. How do we... Keep His commandments. We have to humble ourselves, subject ourselves to His commands, not because He is harsh, not because He is overbearing, 
but because we love Him. That's what Jesus says. He says in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So many times, I don't emphasize the first part of that verse. I only put the emphasis on the last part of that verse where it says, keep my commands. So many times in my life, I have decided to keep the commands, keep the commands, keep the commands. To the point that I have forgotten why I keep his commands. Do you keep the commands out of fear? Or do you keep the commands out of love? So many times I kept those commandments because of my fear. Not because I love Jesus. I forgot why I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Jesus didn't die on the cross, hang the old law on the cross for us to become Pharisees. He died on the cross. He hung the old law on the cross so that you and I can no longer be driven by fear like the Pharisees were, but so that you and I could be driven out of love and therefore follow his commands out of love instead of fear. However, notice, he does not say, I love you, go and do whatever you want. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Too many times I think we think that says, Jesus, if you love me, you will let me do whatever I want. Brethren, that mindset is steeped in selfishness and is bound for destruction. Your love for Christ should make you want to deny yourself. Our love for Christ should force us to deny our opinions, deny our feelings when they are in contradiction to Scripture. Our love for Him should bring us to accept His will no matter what. Where do we lay our treasure? Do we lay it where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal? Or do we lay them in heaven? Well, let me ask you, where do you lay your faith? Do you lay your faith where opinion trumps law and where feelings trump commandments? Or do you put your faith in the Word of God that lives and abides forever? If we will be turning to our scripture for tonight, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible but not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the fat flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached unto you. What is Peter saying here? It's amazing. Peter tells us that if we obey the truth, our souls will be purified. He tells us that if we have been born again, 
That means we have been born again to an incorruptible seed, something that will not perish, something that will not fade away. He tells us that the Word of God abides forever. He tells us that mankind is like grass and flowers that wither and fade away. And He tells us that the Word of God is eternal and that it will endure forever. Peter reminds us here that the things of this world do not matter. They will all vanish away. Opinions, thoughts, feelings are all relative. And they will fade away and wither. But Peter tells us that God's Word is eternal. It will endure forever. Isn't that incredible? The Word of God that you hold in your hands tonight. The Word of God is just as powerful today as it was yesterday. The Word of God was just as powerful a thousand years ago as it is today. And the Word of God will be just as powerful a thousand years from now as it is today. But most importantly, the Word of God will be just as powerful in eternity when we are judged by the things which are written in this book. That's the power of the Word of God that you hold within your hands. God gave us the power. God gave us His eternal will. And it's in your hands. Where is God? He's right in front of you. This is so amazing. And so incredible. You want something that you can stand firm in? You want something that you can stand firm on? How about something that is absolute, can never fade away, and that will endure forever? Now that's something you can stand on. If you will, turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1 and verse 21, the Bible warns us about picking up the sword. James chapter 1 verse 21, the brother of the Lord says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, James, the brother of the Lord, tells us that if we are going to receive the implanted word, if we are going to pick up the sword of the Spirit, we must first let go of all of our filthiness. We must first let go of all of our wickedness. Are you worthy to pick up the sword of the Lord? James tells us that the implanted word is able to save our souls. But that we have to be doers of that word and not hearers only. You know, it's great. It's fantastic to come here at 545 week after week after week and hear great influential messages from great speakers 
and plan on changing your life and plan on changing your life. But if you never actually change, then why are you here? If you never come here at 545 and leave here thinking, I am going to change my life. And then actually go out there and do it. Then why are you here? Do not deceive yourselves. James says, do not deceive yourself. If you're not a doer of the word, why are you even here to hear it? The psalmist says in Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruits in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, he shall prosper. Is your delight in the Word? Is your delight in the law of the Lord? Where do you stand tonight? Real quickly, you'll turn to Psalm 119. Psalm chapter 119, beginning in verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your Word stands Firm in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. For all are your servants, unless your law had been hidden in my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then in verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This book right here, this book that you hold in your hands is the only thing that will make it past the judgment day. The only inanimate object, the only object on the earth that will make it in heaven. Jesus says in John 12, verses 47 and 48, the very words by which I speak will judge you in the last day. This is what we're going to be judged by. And only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will be able to be with God forever in glory. This book right here is the only way by which you can be saved. It is the only way by which you can have salvation, by which you can be with God forever. You want something to stand firm in? How about standing firm in the only thing that is keeping you from eternal anguish? How about standing firm in something 
That is the only way by which you can experience complete perfection in heaven. How about standing firm in something that can allow you and lead you to the God who created you? That's what we're standing firm in tonight. Do you stand firm in the sword of the Spirit? Do you stand firm with the Word of God? Or do you stand firm with the Word of man? Have you been standing on your own righteousness? Have you been standing on your own opinions, on your own feelings, on all the things that will fade and will wither away? Or have you been standing, or will you stand, on the Word of God which lives and abides forever? Jesus is calling you, and He's calling me right now. He's giving us this opportunity to come to Him, to subject our will to His. He's given us this opportunity to lay our burdens down, every care that we carry, and come to Him. He's given us the opportunity to break the chains, to break those sins that so easily beset us. The Hebrews writer would say that we have sins that so easily ensnare us and keep us down, and we fail time and time and time again. Do you have those? Come lay them before the cross tonight. Come lay it before Jesus. Why do you wait, dear brother? Jesus has given us the opportunity right now to answer his invitation. Jesus invites all of us in, in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus Christ is talking to you and me when he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't know what the sin that is keeping you from coming forward tonight. I don't know what that sin is. We all have our own. We feel like we can't escape them. But with the Word of God, and with Jesus' righteousness, He can make you pure tonight. Isn't that amazing? You want something that you can stand firm on? How about the Word of God that lives and abides forever? Jesus is calling. Will you answer Him as together we stand and sing for your encouragement?